You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Joe Rubenstein. Where better to listen to me on the Epic Marvel Podcast? Welcome back, everybody. Curtis here with a special interview with anchor Joe Rubenstein. Now, if you were listening to the Silver Surfer episode, um, episode three, Freedom, I mentioned in there that I wasn't sure if I was going to release this interview in full because I felt like I didn't do a very good job as the interviewer. Uh, there were just yeah a couple of rookie mistakes that I felt make, made the whole thing kind of awkward. Uh, well, two things have happened since then. One is that I edited down the interview and it actually turned out pretty good when I cut out some of the parts that I wasn't happy with. And second, I talked to Joe since recording this interview, and he didn't seem to think it was awkward at all. So if he's okay with it, then I'm okay with it too. So I'm making this available for all of you Patreon supporters. It's our way of saying thank you for being a supporter of the podcast. We couldn't do any of these podcasts on the Thunderquack Podcast Network without your help. In the future, I'll be releasing this episode to the general public. And if you are listening to it and you are the general public then I encourage you to go to patreon.com slash thunderquack and become a supporter, and you will get access to a ton of interviews that I've been doing for the Epic Marvel podcast. I think you'll really enjoy it. So enough from me. Here's Joe Rubenstein talking about Silver Surfer, working with Marshall Rogers, and a bunch of other different things. I understand you were just at a comic convention in Tel Aviv, is that right? Um, no, I was at a comic book convention in Kuwait. Oh, Kuwait. So while I was in that area, I went over to Israel and did a store appearance in Tel Aviv. Oh, okay. Now, what are what's a comic convention in Kuwait like? Is it quite different than an American convention? The, con- the, con- the comic book convention was great. Um, I did have lots of trepidation about having the name Rubenstein in an Arab country. Um, they were very cool. They really treated us first class. Um, English is prevalent there. I think it's even taught the school is very, very early. You know, you go from very traditional burkas and cover-ups where you can only see the woman's eyes to women in Western clothing wearing scarves to women wearing shorts and jeans. And um, it seemed like a very accepting place. There's a lot of... Um, Filipinos and Ethiopians and Indians there. So it was really quite nice. And as I said, I, I think it might have been their very first convention, so they really went all out to try and show us guests being Marv Wolfman, Jay Lee, and uh, Anthony Daniels, CP3O, a good oh. royal time. Oh, wow. And people were familiar yeah. with your work over there? Yeah, apparently they they don't really get Arab comics there. They're mostly American comics, and uh, I guess they knew my work. I mean, the fact that I have a a banner behind me with the Wolverine number one miniseries cover on it sort of is my introduction to the world. Nice. 
Now, can you uh, tell me a little bit about getting into comics? Did you originally set out to be primarily an inker, or did you uh, happen to stumble into that? <laughs> well, um, I did want to be a penciler. I did want to draw the whole thing. But I read an interview in a very fine magazine called Alter Ego that Roy Thomas was the editor of. And it was an interview by Gil Kane, arguably one of the greatest comic artists ever. And he said how he thought he should have been an inker first just to learn the business better before he became an inker. So I decided to do that for a while. And, uh, you know, I got stuck at it. I got good at it. I got jobs at it. And then uh, I wanted to be a portrait painter and, and a painter in general. So I stopped trying to be a penciler. I'm not sure I ever tried, really. And concentrated more on my painting while I continued to make my living as an inker. The, uh, the ironic part about this is is that I inked Gil Kane on three issues of Superman plus a seven sort of Conan job. And uh, Gil Kane and I hated each other. Oh, no. So, <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Well, that's unfortunate. He, uh, he was very insulting about the place of the Inca in uh, the world of comics, and I didn't like the way he specifically treated me. He had a, a right to his opinion, God knows, but he didn't have a right to how he expressed it to me. Yeah. So. Well, that's not cool. Let's talk a little bit about um, Silver Surfer. You you got to ink Marshall Rogers. Now, what yes. what did that mean? Um, how does inking Marshall Rogers compare to inking other people? I I don't really remember how I was offered the job, but generally it's it's very casual. It's like either they call you up or maybe you're at the offices and they say, "Hey, we got a Silver Surfer job. You want to ink it?" I go, "Who's the penciler?" They say Marshall Rogers. I say, "Sure." Um, I'd never inked full issues of anything Marshall did. I did, um, I think I might, I'm not even sure I ever inked Marshall on anything prior to that. But then I inked it, and the thing is, is that um, I think I had all 20, was it, no, I think it was a double-sized issue, like 48 pages for the first one. Right. And um, being as the Silver Surfer is a very small figure, naked with no details, a little bit of shine in the middle of a lot of space, um, it went very, very quickly. I think I might have actually, you know, and, and, and memory distorts, and maybe I, I just made it a better story in my head. But I get the feeling I did the majority of that job over the weekend, which is like almost impossible. You can't think anything about 48 pages over a weekend. But because it was all space, it went, went very quickly. Um, and Marshall didn't require a lot of rendering, so I was fine with doing the thing, and I thought it looked fine, and and Marshall, he really loved what he did. He cared and had very specific instructions about where Zipatone went and what kind of Zipatone he wanted. Zipatone, for those of you who don't know, is a pre-printed pattern, whether it's dots or lines or squiggles, onto a very thin sheet of cellophane with a, an adhesive back to it. So if you wanted to cover a background and make it darker and wasn't sure that the colorist would understand that, you could just cut that out, the zipatone, put it onto that area, brush it, uh, uh, rub it on so it wouldn't move, and then you had the effect you wanted. And Marshall was very, very specific about which zipatone he wanted, where, and how. And 
God knows my philosophy is give the principal what they want, and I was more than happy to get the direction. I guess Marshall liked what I did because I was on the book for whatever, however many issues it was. I've forgotten now. So you're in charge of applying the Zipatone as part of your job? Well, it's it's I'm in charge of it when I tell my assistants what to do. But yeah, I certainly look it over and I certainly make sure it's done right. Okay. And I also, uh, in, in other jobs who are not so specific about what they want, I will do. I used to because Zipatone is not uh, used much anymore. But I used to do tons of Zipatone just to make sure that effects were correct and mood was correct. And see that nowadays colorists are great. They like, like for instance, one guy Paul Mounts, who did the Fantastic Four with me a year or so ago. He made it look like a two hundred million dollar Disney cartoon. <laughs> yeah, no but kidding. in the old days, there were very, very fine colorists like uh, Tatjana Wood and uh, Corey Adams and Glennis Ween. But there were a lot of really terrible, terrible people who didn't know what the hell they were doing, and it would break your heart, my heart, to have this effect planned out and anticipated and see it completely misunderstood. Like, for instance, if you look at the cover to the Wolverine number 1 miniseries I did with Miller, yeah. which is iconic and voted one of the 100 best covers of all time, right. it's not colored right. The colorist, who was a nice guy but an idiot, um, he totally missed the lighting on the side of Wolverine's face and, and nose. So when I saw it, it was like, oh, no. So what I did with Zipatone was put it over parts of the face, parts of the background, parts of the body, that if the colorist didn't get it, were still sufficiently shaded so that there was a variation in what it is I was anticipating. So Marshall had all kinds of ideas about what needs to be recessed, what needs to be amplified, and he would give lots of directions about what Zipatone he wanted where. And do you think he also colored the book himself? Do you think he um, it's because he was also the colorist that he had very specific reasons for shading and such? Yeah, sure. I mean, he was uh, Marshall had architectural training, so I think Marshall viewed it all as a complete job, a piece unto itself. The fact that he would trust me with the inks, or maybe Terry Austin on Batman or something like that, was. Um, you know, a step that he didn't have to necessarily totally control, and maybe he even thought we different inkers um, may have added something to his work that he liked, and then uh, he finished it off with the coloring the way he needed it to be. Did you continue inking this book after Marshall, Marshall Rogers left? Yeah, sure. Well, I, uh, Staten took over for a while, um, and then uh, Ron Lim... And I think there was a fill-in issue with Kevin West or two. Um, I'm not sure if I was there when Greenberg was there or not. Um, but I, 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 was, I think I was on it like 23 issues or something, which is nearly two years. And uh, I tend to be very restless with my jobs, and I would jump around from book to book. So I had an assistant in those days named Tom Christopher, and um, I let him do more and more of the book and then I said, hey, listen, Tom's been inking this book more than I have. Why don't you give it to him? And then he became the inker on the series for a long while. Oh, wow. When you see someone's pencils, are there certain artists who you have to kind of work with a lot more than others? Like, work with, sure. with, work with their stuff, I mean. Well, I, I don't know what you mean by work with, but um, 
Do you mean correct? Um, I guess I mean correct. Yeah, I mean because um, I know each inker has their own style and their own their own uh, way of of uh, approaching a, a subject as well. Yes, yeah, see, I mean every inker has their own style, and there are certain inkers which are very very dominant, like Alfredo Alcala, Tony Duzaniga, Tom Palmer, very great great artists. But when it was done, it was their job generally speaking, and not the penciler's job. Um, I was taught by Dick Giordano, and Dick believed in altering your line, your approach, your philosophy to accommodate the work in front of you. And so if somebody is cartoony, or, or more, well, you know, like Joe Staten is more cartoony than, for instance, John Buscema. So I'm not going to ink Joe Staten with the same kind of line or attitude as I would John Buscema. Um, John Buscema didn't draw the way Sal Buscema drew, so I wasn't going to ink Sal the way I inked John. You know, and and if some people need quote unquote fixing because there may be something absolutely wrong, like for instance a piece of anatomy or lighting which doesn't make sense considering what the light source is. And some people have their own individual style, and then it's either my job to try and follow it and alter my approach accordingly, or it's um, my job to change it because the editor said, change this stuff, we don't like it, or it needs fixing, or can you add something to it? I think they, um, uh, three-part, eight-page each installment of a Wolverine Spider-Man story that Eric Larson Drew for I think it's called Marvel Presents, which was a like a weekly or bi-weekly book. And when it was all published, uh, my credits were left off of it because everybody always assumed that Eric drew it, and he excuse me inked it, and he didn't. But I inked it as closely as I could to what the pencils were, so they just assumed that there was no inker there. Now speaking of Marshall, um, there was a. Um, uh, a charity book that DC put out called Heroes for Hunger, and it was about the African famine relief. Okay. And I was given the unbelievably frightening honor of inking Joe Kubert for two pages, and to me, Joe Kubert's the great comic book artist ever. Now, of course, Jack Kirby is unbelievable and a force of nature, and he's breathtaking, but a piece of Joe Kubert work would take my breath away also, and that just happened to be my preference. Right. And so they gave me Joe Kubert to ink, which was terrifying. And I did the best I could, and I got, um, uh, I, I don't remember if I got a phone call or I actually spoke to Marshall in person about it, but he said, hey, they got the credits wrong. Um, Joe Kubert inked this job, and you were credited as the inker. And I went, no, that was me. <laughs> you know, I just tried as hard as I could to be faithful to Joe Kubert's pencils, and Joe Kubert's pencils were magnificent and finished, not sketchy. So I had a very tight uh, roadmap to follow. Now, do you apply that same philosophy when... Because I know that there are some issues that just, like, for deadline sakes, perhaps um, they parse it out to several inkers, Um well, all right, it depends. Um, they had this event last year called Convergence at D.C., 
And besides having my own book, which was World's Finest, Inks Over Jim Fern, who's a really good artist, and if you don't know his work, look it up. Mm-hmm. But there were also um, two books that I helped out meet the deadlines, one of which was, I think it was The Justice League with Mike Manley's pencils. And when I inked that, I didn't exactly accommodate my style to Manley's style, even though it was the second issue. But then there was an issue of World's Finest. Now, I may be getting all the titles mixed up, but this is the one where it's Superman and Batman penciled by Dennis Cowan. And Klaus Janssen was the inker, and he was doing a very fine job. And they asked me to help meet the deadline. And I tried to ink it like Klaus, so Uh, that my work would jump out completely. Right. So, yeah, it it depends. Uh, I mean, I've done jobs especially through the 80s at Marvel, where they just needed, like, two pages overnight, or can you help us out on this or that, the other thing. And um, I never got any credit because it was too late. The, the credit's already been done. So I don't know that anybody ever said, oh, look, there's a routine page in the middle of this job. Uh, I, I helped out on some of the X-Men books with um, over Scott Williams. Uh, you know, Scott Williams is the inker. Um and uh, there's a very well-regarded Avengers annual that Mike Golden drew that Armando Gill did a great job on. And I inked one of the pages in it. And um, nobody ever said, what's this crappy page in the middle of this great job? It, it <laughs> blended in, so I guess I did okay. So then the, the flip side of that, um, the if you have multiple pencilers on a book, do you try to uh, do an inking style that blends sort of blends the the penciling styles together to make it a more unified look depends again depends what's being asked of me if somebody said uh you know marshall rogers and ron Lim penciled an issue all right here's, here's a better one um i did the infinity gauntlet and george perez was the regular till a couple of pages into one of the issues maybe for issue four ron Lim took over right so um I didn't especially change my approach to make Ron Lim's pages look like George Perez's pages because they didn't, and nobody said, do that. But if they had said, can we change this stuff so it looks more like the other guy, that's what I would have done. Hmm. But given, given a choice, I will just react to the stimuli, which means the pencils. And if they have a hard, angular look to them, one penciler, and the other guy is a soft, more organic look, I'm not going to ink them the same way, because unless, again, I'm specifically instructed, change this stuff so it's, it's more accommodating to the other penciler. Who are some of the artists that you really enjoy inking? Um, I enjoy inking the people who really draw well and don't need fixing and need just for me to try and keep up with how good they are. One of which, is, God knows, is uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez. Oh, yeah. They're pretty damn great. Um, Lee Weeks is really, really good. Um, Kurt Swan was hard, but, you know, there was the challenge. Um, somebody like Kevin McGuire, who draws very, very, very well, 
he leaves almost no room for the anchor to do anything. So I don't enjoy doing the work, but I do think the result is good. Um, I enjoyed inking Gil Kane. I thought the stuff looked really good when we were done. Gil's opinion aside. Um, and I think I'm a good match for John Byrne as long as I don't ever have to talk to him. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, John Byrne, it seems like he would prefer to ink his own stuff. Oh, yeah, that's, you know, that's okay. And, And you know what? You're certainly allowed to prefer your inks over anybody else's inks. And if I were a pencil, I have been inked once or twice by other people. And, of course, I like what I would have done better. So there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that how I, how that opinion is expressed, I think, speaks about a person's character. Right. I was talking to somebody else the other day about um, uh, John Buscema, and kind of John Buscema in the 80s, he, his penciling had become very sparse in terms of uh, the detail that he put into it. Yeah, but it wasn't... He was hired to do layouts. It's not like he was skipping the details. They said, all right. And, and Shooter, Jim Shooter, the editor-in-chief at the time, was very big on this. He said, let's get somebody, Sal Buscema, John Buscema, who draw and storytell beautifully. Yeah. And then let's get some good inker to flesh it out instead of... In the time John took to maybe put in the details on one page, he could have drawn a second page. Right. So Shooter's attitude was, Give it to Tom Palmer, it'll look great, and we'll have twice as much storytelling out of the guys. So do you find that to be a challenge? Oh, it's a tremendous challenge to me, because, you know, now where do you put the blacks, and where do you put the rendering, and, and you know, uh, and and looking back at my old stuff, it was pretty poor when I had to tighten up somebody else, um, specifically John um, because I really didn't understand how to place blacks well in those days, and maybe I don't now, but at least I understand them better now, so I, I would have done a different job. But, um, I mean, Sal, Sal Buscema was a lot tighter than John, so there was really very little ambiguity about what Sal wanted, but there was still tons of room to make it your own. Not that that was ever my goal. I didn't, I didn't particularly want the job to look like me when it was done. I just needed it to look better and solider and completed when it was done. And uh, Sal gave you a lot of structure to do that. What is the job that you are most proud of? A job no one ever saw called, uh, it was um, a very respectful retelling of the crucifixion story for the American Bible Society. It was an 11-page job. It was penciled by Rick Leonardi, a really good artist. Yeah. You can actually find it on my um, Facebook page, or Facebook galleries. And uh, it was in a graphic novel, penciled by Victor Dano, inked by Terry Austin. And I just don't think anybody, it got any distribution. Nobody ever saw it, but I was very happy with that shot. I also did a thing. It was a three-issue series, Tangled Web of Spider-Man, with Lee Weeks, who's a fantastic draftsman. And uh, it was Tangled Web of Spider-Man. And as a matter of fact, Lee and I got an award for it from uh, Spain. I went over to Spain just to get an award for this comic book. <laughs> um, and, you know, you start with somebody really great, and if you don't screw it up, you might wind up with something really great. Um, another job, um, I, you know, I like nearly everything I've done with Jose Garcia Lopez. Um, we did a Road to Perdition sequel, 
which we both killed ourselves. The deadline was crazy. And um, luckily, it was supposed to look crude, because the speed at which we did it, it looked crude. <laughs> um, but I also did like an Elseworlds Superman with Jose, which I was very proud of, and some Dead Man stories. So um, Jose rarely does full stories anymore, but, you know, anything anybody ever wants me to do Jose, I will jump on it. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on uh, when you were inking Ron Friends in, on Spider-Man? Yeah, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. After, I think, the first four issues, speaking of layouts, that's what Ron went to. But Ron, Ron's layouts were also very tight and to the point, and I, I saw lots of potential to alter to add to it, but it's, it was great just the way it was. Um, and yeah, I was very happy to be on a good old classic comic book like Spider-Man, and then... I think while that work was, was good, when we both went over to Superman, I think Ron was even better, and I stepped up to the occasion. So, uh, interestingly enough, one day in the mail, I get this cover to ink of Ron's for Superman. And it's just a guy standing there with an all-black background, and he got sort of a weird lightning bolt thing on his chest. And I ink it, and it took about an hour. And I felt a little guilty. I went, you know, I better put more work into this. So I gave another 15 minutes. <laughs> and then I finished and I mailed it back that day and I didn't know that it was the new Superman costume and it would be the single most uh, publicized piece of art I will ever do in my entire life <laughs> oh wow <laughs> that's amazing you get a lot of people coming to you in conventions with that with that book no no, no they don't because nearly everybody hates the electric Superman oh, right. they don't want those <laughs> but but when it came out, every magazine and newspaper in the world said, look, Superman's changing, and they published that drawing. Right. Maybe if I'd realized that it was the new costume and it was going to be so widely dispersed, I might have panicked or worked harder on it, or I don't know what. But no. <laughs> I did it. I did, I did it like everything I do, the best I can. Yep. And then I sent it away, and it came back as this you know, piece that's never going to go away. These days, all of the uh, file transfer is done digitally. How did you? Uh, how do you transfer your work to uh, back to the Marvel Studio or to the colorist or whoever you have? Do a high risk scan, and I think uh, I haven't I haven't done it for a while, but I think there's a a website and a template that you drop it into. So any any company I work on these days, it's just you know you just do the work and then you do a high res tip and you send it over to them one device or another. But, you know, that's also kind of a problem in that in the old days, you'd, you'd get, like, I don't know, a 22-page job, and you'd hand it in in three weeks. These days, it's like every day I got an email from Mark Bagley on the Fantastic Four doing his always great job, and they wanted it back today. Oh, like, oh great. But whether I had something to do today or maybe I didn't feel like it or whatever, it's like, well, we need it today. We've got to color it today. And um, and when I did that uh, convergence thing with all the Dennis Collins pencils, that was literally an hourly deadline. Wow. We go, okay, can we have another one by 4? Can we have another one by 7? Okay, we really need one by midnight. It's like, wow, this is stress. Wow, that's, and that's and you don't even have time for the ink to dry. Yeah, well, you know, heat. But And, <laughs> and then sometimes I'll do work for Europe, and there's this one guy who says, okay, can I have it 10 a.m. my time? So when's that? It's 4 a.m. your time. I went, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
I mean, if I get it done early, of course, but otherwise it's like, all right, it's 2 a.m., we've got two more hours for this deadline. Yeah, so. amazing. What are you working on these days that you'd like to tell our listeners about? I am, I am speaking of Kevin West, who drew the uh, Silver Surfer. Um, we are doing a three-issue graphic novel that I think totals close to 500 pages, and it's uh, Neo-Think, which is kind of a philosophy, and um, there's not a lot to be said about it until you see it. It's really nice contemporary-looking artwork by Kevin. I think I'm giving it a contemporary look. And um, I'm not sure it's ever coming to this country, in all honesty. It might. I don't know the facts of it, about it, but it's, it probably will take a year and a half or two before anybody ever gets to see any of it. While I would like to do a DC and Marvel job again, just so people think I haven't like retired, um, it is a lot of work. And I'm happy for it, because, you know, 500 pages is 500 pages. And where is that being published? Well, yeah, it's going to be published. I don't I don't know. I think this is the first comic book series of this publisher. Oh, okay. So uh, it's not like I can say it's going to be under Eclipse or Dark Horse or something like that. But hopefully when there's something to show, I'll start getting it noticed on my Facebook page, and maybe they'll even let me post some of the artwork. Well, we look forward to seeing that then. We'll keep our eyes open. Thanks. Um, yeah, well, I thank you for taking the time to talk with us today, Joe. Appreciate it. It's a need to learn a little bit more about inking and, and uh, you know, that side of comic books. Right. And, you know, um, like I said, if, if people want to, I have a presence on Facebook for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I have an official site somewhere a guy made for me. So if anybody wants any kind of commissions or recreations or things signed or something like that, it's it's easy enough to find me. Yes, certainly is. Yeah, if you just search Joe Rubenstein on Facebook, you'll you'll find his official page. And yeah, you're very accessible. So I appreciate you taking the time to talk. You're welcome.